I, I don't really remember the episode. I remember that was the first time I wrote a column after a game, and that kind of got me into doing the lead voice stuff because I wrote about how JT Barrett kicked ass, and then it immediately backfired the next week. Our, our sound quality was also better then, which says a lot about me. So, yeah, that's, that's where we are at <laughs> as the hangout in the Holy Land, and that's probably a great place for us to intro into today's show. So what's up, everyone? Welcome into the hangout in the Holy Land, the flagship show of landgrantholyland.com. My name is Colton Denning. I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host and the lead voice of landgrantholyland.com, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, we are in the top 10 of our top 20 most rewatchable Ohio State games of all time. We did games 10 and 9 last week, two of the best games that I can remember watching two of the more fun games I can remember watching. But now we're at eight and seven today, and boy, these both these games are bangers. Yeah, the um the two games we're gonna talk about today, there's actually the um the second one is they're they're both kind of unique because I think that there's um a very specific way to watch both of them, at least for me. The the first one that we're gonna talk about um we're going to have a first on this list because I'm going to suggest only watching a single quarter of this game for anyone who wants to go back and do it. Um, the second one is like, I, I think mostly on here for kind of sentimental reasons. It seems like, and people will understand what I'm talking about when we actually get to it. Um, but we, um, yeah, let's, let's jump right into this first one. It's a 2017 Ohio state, Penn State, and I think people can assume what quarter I'm talking about when I say that you really only need to watch one quarter in this game. Yeah, and I'm just going to throw it out there before we talk about the game itself. Does this, did this lose any luster knowing what happened the next week against Iowa? I don't think so. It, it's still like the the high of the fourth quarter. I mean, not even the full fourth quarter, the high of like the last 11 minutes of this game are, um, I mean, pretty much unmatched by anything that I can really remember, certainly by anything on this this list. It, it is a, a comeback like no other, and even knowing that Ohio State falls apart the next week, it's, it's a really, really good fourth quarter to go back and watch. Yeah, the fourth quarter is where Ohio State turns it up. They outscored Penn State 19-3, to but from the jump, this game was a mess. Of course, there was the kickoff to Saquon Barkley, which was returned for a touchdown. And, and right from the jump, things kind of get off the rails. Paris Campbell fumbles on Ohio State's first possession of the game, three plays into it. Penn State scores a touchdown. And with less than four minutes into the game, Ohio State's down 14 to nothing, and they have to claw back for the rest of the game. There are times where they're down 28 to 10. They're down 35 to 20 in the fourth quarter. And I went back and listened to our episode after this game happened, and we both kind of said that it never. I never felt that Ohio State couldn't win this game, even though things were really dire after the JT Barrett-JK Dobbins fumble in the fourth quarter where it did look like, okay, they're probably done. But to me, it, it just never felt like they were going to go away or they were going to lose this game because even being down 15 points in the fourth quarter, it always felt like they had outplayed Penn State in this game, but they had just completely shot themselves in the foot. And in the fourth quarter, everything turns around. The defensive line totally 
just dominates Penn State, and JT Barrett goes insane. Yeah, the the first 20 minutes or so of this game, and I, I think that this really does contribute to like that feeling that we had after the game, where it was like, well, you know, Ohio State ended up winning, and they had to do it in a really weird way, but it really didn't feel like Penn State was that much better. I mean, the the game started with you know kind of a a, a really hard to control and really frustrating, but um, you know the kickoff return that you really can't bank on that happening. That's that's more of a a toss up than most football things, and sometimes Saquon Barkley just does that. And then there's the um, the Paris Campbell fumble, like you mentioned, and, and Penn State jumps out to the early lead, and then. Even going into like the second quarter, Penn State is up 21-3 really, really early on because of another big Saquon Barkley play. And um, But like you said, at that point, it, it never really felt like Ohio State was firmly out of the game, even when it got to be like 28-10, uh, pretty, pretty far through the second quarter because it was like Penn State was scoring on all of these weird plays and they were getting all of the bounces. And um, the, the second half... Really, the the last forty minutes or so, where you know Ohio State scores a touchdown to uh, cut it to twenty eight to seventeen. I think that's the um, I think that that's the Weber touchdown run, if I remember correctly, to to cut it down. Um, but like from that point, it's pretty much just a shootout. Um, and it's back and forth for a little while. Uh, Ohio State comes out in the second half, kicks a field goal. It feels like everything is kind of stabilizing, and then there's that um, really bizarre. Penn State touchdown that certainly felt like an interception. Um, I'm still a little bit like watching that one back. I was still a little bit confused about how that ended up being a uh, a touchdown and not a Denzel Ward interception. But like from that that point where it's 35-20 midway through the third quarter, there's like all of the back and forth bad offense. It's it's like both teams just trading off punting and fumbling and punting and getting their punts blocked and. Um, it, it creates this this really weird dynamic entering the fourth quarter that I remember thinking was weird at the time where it's like, you know, both of these teams have shown that they can score and now they're just not doing it. And then the fourth quarter is obviously that offensive explosion for Ohio State where everything just kind of clicks. And um, it, it's like, you know, all of that bad luck that Ohio State had had for the, thir- for the first three quarters finally caught up and you know Penn State wasn't really able to to stop the fact that Ohio State was just better in the fourth quarter and without getting the bounces they had no real answer for it I will say this about the kickoff because you said there was no way to bank on that happening the kickoff coverage was not good (laughs) and if you remember was it two weeks before this they played Maryland and they gave up two touchdowns on kickoffs that sounds right Ty Johnson scored at least one was this the game where like it, it, it was like uh, Penn State just kept having the big kickoff returns and they would kick it short and the linebacker would take it 40 yards. <laughs> yeah, this is what happened. Saquon Barkley scored on the kickoff return and that was already an issue. Like, why why would you kick to, of all people, Saquon Barkley? Yeah, I remember us being very mad about this on the podcast. That pissed me off. And the second one was Koa Farmer, who's a Penn State linebacker. They tried to squib one and he returns it 60 yards and there's a great shot that I know you will enjoy of Pete Werner trying to chase Koa Farmer down and not being able King. to do it. Koa Farmer, <laughs> a fellow linebacker. So that's, that's a great Werner, shot. Pete Werner, who many people have been calling fast this offseason. <laughs> it's funny, too, because it goes back to what we 
kind of alluded to in our recap of this game when it happened, and then I tweeted about it from the Land Grant account after the game that people either really liked or really hated was I said something along the lines of shout out to the Ohio State players for winning this game in spite of some of the worst coaching you will see. And almost two years later, I'm going to stand by that because yeah. that, that was another thing that stood out to me watching this game was whether it was the kickoff strategy, targeting Mike Weber six times for nine yards in the passing game. Some of those horizontal passes were just dreadful. J.K. Dobbins, I forgot, had a couple of big runs in the first quarter, and then they just completely didn't use him until like late in the third or in the fourth quarter. There was some baffling stuff in this game, but Ohio State players, to their credit, managed to keep trucking away, plugging away. There's a couple times where... They're down and it almost looks insurmountable. They're down twenty-one to three with eleven forty in the second quarter, but they keep fighting through. And I'll stick to my guns that the players really covered up for the coaches in this one. And I think that it's still evident two years later. Do you think it's just going to be like that's Ryan Day's thing? Is that for the first three quarters, Ohio State really struggles against Penn State, and then the fourth quarter they figure it out and it's over? Because that's not too. That's uh, he he did it in twenty seventeen. I mean to a, a slightly lesser extent because I think he was running the show a whole lot more in 2018. But then 2018, you have the situation where Dwayne Haskins really doesn't quite know what he's doing yet, and they just go all screens in the fourth quarter, and they, they make a, a similar comeback. That seems to just be the Ryan Day approach to beating Penn State is that uh, we'll give them the first three quarters, but then you know fourth quarter, it's, <laughs> it's go time. <laughs> Maybe, but I also think that a lot of last year's game had the fingerprints of Urban Meyer white knuckling. I think this game did like too. That. Yeah, and two, I think that Dwayne Haskins maybe wasn't ready for that moment. That was really his first big test. I know the TCU game was neutral field at the time. We thought TCU would be much better than what they were, but Penn State was a legitimately good team, and even when they're not at a top 10, top 15 level, to play in that sort of environment it's tough for any quarterback, let alone one making his first start in that situation. So I think that that's important to remember. We'll see how Justin Fields performs in that. It's a little bit later on in the season, so I think that he'll have a little bit more seasoning than what Haskins had. But I think being with Day not having that influence of Meyer now next season, I think we may see a little bit more of a of a philosophy, a little more open-ended philosophy in the first part of the game. But yeah, the last two years has been a lot of white knuckling until the fourth quarter. Yeah, man, I I sure hope that it's uh it's a little bit of a quicker start because um the the first quarter of of this game for Ohio State's offense, really Ohio State's whole team, the defense did not have a great game either. Um, the first quarter in in this one, as we mentioned, was really really not pretty i mean um you've got the the early fumble punt after three plays and negative five yards uh the the field goal to cut it to 11 and then a, uh, I think it was a turnover on downs to to end the first quarter um not good <laughs> it, it was like ohio state came out super super conservative like you mentioned and um there was like a decent amount of jk dobbins to start the game and then they just completely go away from it and then um it, it really isn't until 
like late in the second quarter and then again in the fourth quarter where Ohio State figures out that they can probably pass the ball on Penn State and that they can do it with relative ease. And when they start to do that, it, it results in, I, I think, you know, the, the biggest positive of this game and the biggest reason to watch this game, which is an absolutely all-time performance from JT Barrett, especially in the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, 33 of 39 passing for 328 yards, four touchdowns, um, 95 rushing yards on 17 carries as well. I, uh, I, I decided that I wanted to look into that a little bit more because those stats seemed really, really astounding. And as it turns out, um, he's essentially in a class of his own with those numbers where, you know, completing such a, a high percentage of so many passes, throwing that many touchdowns, throwing that many yards. Um, it's really only ever been done since 2000 by Brett Smith, which I, I was telling you about before the show, um, Wyoming legend Brett Smith. But this this really was kind of like one of the most impressive quarterback performances of the last you know decade plus or so. And um, it really wasn't until Ohio State just let JT Barrett cook that that they really started rolling because he was absolutely on fire in this game there's a couple passes in the fourth quarter uh one to austin mack one to kj hill each one of the touchdowns is insane each one of the touchdowns (laughs) the throw in the corner of the end zone to johnny dixon on a fade route is just placed right on the money and last episode we talked about the the michigan state game in 2014 these are undisputably jt barrett's two best games of his career and this this was the one that I think put he really put a stamp on being sort of a legacy player at Ohio State because coming into this he hadn't won a game like this. There was there was the Michigan State game, but there was still part of the fan base I think that thought JT Barrett can't win a game of this magnitude and to not only beat Penn State who was undefeated and ranked number 2 in the country at the time but in the way that they did it, in the way that Barrett performed in the fourth quarter, this will kind of go down as his lasting legacy. And what a hell of a legacy it is, because when you go 13-13 in the fourth quarter for three touchdowns and 170 yards, plus he ices away the game by running for the first down to close it out, he kind of just shut everybody up. And like we said, the Iowa game takes away a little bit of that, <laughs> but for it to happen against Penn State and on this sort of stage can't take it away from him. Yeah, man, I was like I watched the the game-winning touchdown pass to Marcus Ball a couple times. I, I think that the like the way that he stands in the pocket there it was a really cool play design. I remember reading an SBNation.com article about that play design a couple years ago when this happened where they they pull the center on a kind of a, a quick play action and then Marcus Ball on the post. It's it's really not something that Ohio State does a ton and it obviously worked really really well here but the the way that that JT Barrett just stands so completely confident in the pocket for the entire fourth quarter but especially that play in the face of pressure in the face of the fact that if the throw is off at all it's probably the end of the game because it probably gets intercepted it's like it's one of the most impressive throws I think on this entire list and probably the most impressive throw of JT Barrett's career. And then also his celebration after kicks ass. It's insanely good. (laughs) I don't know if you caught that part where he's just like 
jumping around in the end zone saying that this is his house it's insanely cool it's i think probably my favorite jt barrett moment at ohio state and that was probably his way of you know mentioning to the people that were saying those sort (laughs) of things like absolutely this this is mine because yeah this was just a few weeks after all of the recruits saying that dwayne haskins should be the starter after the oklahoma game and that's something i think we talked about after the oklahoma game i don't know if we've outright said it but it was a conversation that was worth having and for JT Barrett to probably even I'll place that on me too to shut me up after that game I was fine with it yeah. if that's what you're going to do to Penn State then cool. <laughs> yeah, I won't complain I'll be an much. idiot every time I will be wrong uh, other things about this game that I thought were very interesting is I can't believe it was only two years ago because this game feels yeah. like it was a lifetime ago and this is only two seasons. So much ago. has happened. So much has changed. <laughs> when I went back and listened, one of my takeaways was like, Austin Mack is the guy for the wide receiver core. And I hope he's healthy this year because he, re- he really deserves to finish his career off right. But he had a couple of big catches. You saw a couple guys make plays like Robert Landers, a couple guys that are still on the team. But it, it really does feel like this game was forever ago. Yeah, it does. And there's like, um, like you mentioned, there's a lot of guys on this team who like, even though this was only two seasons ago, it feels like they have been not at Ohio State for a super long time. And we had a similar um, kind of feeling. I can't remember what game it was. I think it might have been a 2016 It was the Nebraska game. game. Nebraska. Okay. Was that also 2017 then? No, that was 2016. That's 2016. how long okay. the last yeah. couple of years have been. God. Yeah. But like... Um, Marcus Ball, I think, who we mentioned on that show as well. It's, it feels like he hasn't played at Ohio State since like 2012. It feels like he played with Braxton Miller. Um, you know, Sam Hubbard, Dante Booker, who was on the team last year. <laughs> you know, like it, it feels like these guys have been gone forever. And I, I think that it's probably a result of all of the, the off the field stuff that has happened in the last year or so where, um, it's like Ohio State related things just keep happening all the time and they kept happening for like weeks and weeks and weeks. It felt like there were more things happening and I, I think that that has created a, a really weird feeling around 2016 and 2017 where they're kind of these forgotten seasons where a whole bunch of weird stuff happened and, and it never really mattered. None of it <laughs> none of it ended up mattering all that much because – you know the um, the 2017 season ends with uh, you know the the USC bowl game, which is I think probably the most forgettable bowl game in in recent memory for Ohio State games, and um, you know, it's just this this whole season gets kind of lost to to time a little bit, and um, it really does feel like this game happened five, six, seven years ago. You know, like it doesn't feel like JT Barrett was the quarterback at Ohio State just two years ago. The Iowa loss doesn't help either. No, that's for sure. no. <laughs> it, it's easy for us to focus on the offense and what they did in the fourth quarter because they, they scored 19 points. But the biggest play of the game to me that completely changed the energy was the pump block by Denzel Ward when they're down 35 to 20 because at that point, they're just looking for something, some sort of energy. And you can hear the crowd in the background chanting, block that kick. And Ward comes through and blocks the kick. And that was probably the moment for me where I thought, okay, they, they have a chance here. This is Something is finally going their way if they're able to muster up anything. The defense and the special teams finally did their part. 
go get a touchdown. And they were able to, and that play to me felt like it changed the, the complexity or the complexion of the game. Yeah, for sure. I think that that, that punt block really kind of gave Ohio State confidence. It certainly gave the defense a little bit of a breather, um, which ultimately helped a whole lot in the, the long run. And I think that you know having extra time not on the field is probably a, a pretty big part of what contributed to the defensive line being able to step up late the defensive line specifically being you know guys like Jalen Holmes who really had a, a massive fourth quarter I know he was the one that had the um, the second down sack on that last Penn State drive and then you know Nick Bosa stepping up in that spot and uh, just Sam Hubbard has a Sam massive yeah. game there's it's on the second to last Penn State drive or maybe it's the last Penn State drive where he sacks Trace McSorley I think it's the second to last is that the one where he gets Saquon and Trace McSorley yeah. in the same tackle? Yeah, yeah. he yeah. just he takes both of them down. They try to run like a zone read play action. He just eats both of them, takes them both down. He had a huge game. Something I noticed or something that I, I heard us talk about in the podcast that we recapped was nine of Saquon Barkley's 21 carries lost yards in this game. The yeah. defensive line went about eight or nine deep. They just had a ton of dudes that they could rely on. And when it came to the end of the game, when they knew Penn State was going to pass, they turned on the Jets and they got after Trace McSorley and they snuffed out any chance Penn State had of coming back to try to win this game. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely that the defensive line at the end of this game that, um, you know, outside of Barrett really won the game for Ohio State because like even with... Penn State driving down without all that much time left and kicking the field goal, it was the defensive line that kind of kept that from, from being worse, you know, where Saquon Barkley gets stuffed on that, that third and goal and then that forces the uh, the field goal instead of giving up a touchdown. And, um, you know, those last two drives where it was like they were on a, a completely different level where Penn State just could not blocked them at all and um the defensive line being that dominant allowed ohio state to drop their linebackers into coverage more and allowed ohio state to really focus on you know stopping trace mcsorley from running around stopping saquon barkley from running around and um that's you know like with the the late uh, the late starts by the offense in the last two Penn State games, um, the defensive line showing up in the fourth quarter has become a little bit of a trend where, you know, 2017, it's Sam Hubbard and Jalen Holmes, and I think Draymond Jones got in there as well. And then 2018, it's uh, Chase Young and, you know, a couple of the young guys. I think Jonathan Cooper got in on a sack in the, the 2018 game. And, um, it's becoming kind of the thing that Ohio State does against Penn State in the fourth quarter, where you know when when the game is at its tightest and when the when the stakes are highest, which are usually against Penn State, um, the defensive line is always kind of the thing that Ohio State leans on, and they certainly did that in in this game. Joey Bosa in overtime too in 2014, just blowing up the whole play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, the angriest I got during this game after this game, and every time I watch this game. After Ohio State scores to make it 39-38 with however much time is left, a one minute, 45 seconds, they decide to squib, and whoever <laughs> whoever was kicking it kicks it right to the Penn State player at the 40-yard line. Oh, it's so good. They get the ball at the 40-yard line with a minute 45 left and three timeouts only down one. 
just hilariously stupid decision making and execution and the defensive line is able to to make up for it and completely snuff out any chance they have did just back to the kickoff coverage it was rough that year and in this game I, i think the defense played a lot better than maybe what the box score indicates in the 38 points because seven of those came off a kickoff return, and then the offense put him in a bad position at the first drive of the game, giving Penn State the ball with Campbell's fumble at the 35-yard line. Outside of a couple of big plays, Saquon Barkley has a 36-yard run. Other than that, he was held to 44 yards rushing. So, yeah, that's pretty good. I thought the defense played well. And, two, you talked about the – the play in the end zone that got ruled a touchdown, if, if that gets overturned and there's a phantom pass interference on Damon Arnett that gets picked off by uh, Damon Webb, I thought, all things considered, defense played pretty well. And it, it's amazing to think about when you give up 38 points, but they kind of show it at the end when they just wreck the offensive line. Yeah, I, I think that the the defense probably gets a little bit too much flack for this game. This was before Ohio State's defense became bad. Um, and you still got guys like Jordan Fuller and, and Jerome Baker had a pretty good game. And the, the linebackers were still competent in 2017. They weren't great, but they were competent. Um, and it, it certainly showed up against Penn State's running game. I mean, I, I think it kind of goes... I don't want to say forgotten because people know how good Penn State was during this era. But like this Penn State offense was pretty much unstoppable coming into this game. I mean, they were the number two team in the country for a good reason. This was a I mean, it was an awesome Penn State team, really both sides of the ball for sure. But especially the offense where, I mean, very, very few teams could even slow down Saquon Barkley. And then you also have Trace McSorley, who was pretty much unstoppable. And Mike Gesicki, who gave Ohio State quite a bit of trouble and um you know even a guy like deandre tompkins who had that uh the touchdown that you mentioned and uh this this was an insanely good offense and holding them to 38 points it sounds funny to say holding a team to 38 points but when you factor in the fact that you know seven of those came directly off of the the kickoff another seven came off of a fumble in your own territory and then ohio state spent the entire game not knowing how to cover kickoffs um which became kind of a trend for a couple weeks in 2017 i think we've kind of forgotten about that a little bit where there was like a five-week span where ohio state just couldn't cover kicks and it was like the number one thing that we were concerned about (laughs) um but with all of that going on you know, the defense still did a pretty good job of keeping Penn State's numbers down. And, you know, Trace McSorley was held under 200 yards passing and Penn State never really could get any kind of rushing attack going. And I think that that would have been reflected more in the final score had a couple of those, um, you know, near interceptions become actual interception. And I think that that was really the difference was that Ohio State was not quite as lucky with the turnovers as they maybe would have hoped to be. I am looking at the kickoff return stats right it was bad. now. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. It yeah, they gave bad. they gave up seven in the Maryland game. They kicked off seven times, gave up 217 yards and a touchdown. And there was, of course, the touchdown in this game. So, yeah, that was, that was a problem. And that's where we were at that point where that was the biggest issue. Little did we know what would happen in Iowa City uh, seven days after this one. But this team, like you said, 
kind of does get lost in the cracks because of the Iowa game and a forgettable bowl win against USC that was kind of just boring. But this game is the high point of that season, and it's an awesome one to go back and revisit because of mostly JT Barrett's fourth quarter. Plus, you get to go back and watch. Man, Penn State had him on the ropes, and this was a year after they beat him anyway, and Ohio State got into the playoff instead, even though Penn State won the Big Ten Championship. So it's not like Penn State wasn't fired up for this game. And two, the Penn State schadenfreude from their fans uh, when they blow this fourth quarter lead, magnificent. We talk about it on that episode. There were Penn State fans that were sick of Joe Moorhead in the fourth quarter after after some of the play calling and what happened to their offense and they got their wish he's gone he's in mississippi state so i'm fine with that i I, that's good to me (laughs) thank god but you know outside of that we don't really need to sell you on this game because jt barrett's fourth quarter does it if you're gonna watch this game for one reason watch it for jt's crowning moment and some of the throws he makes in the fourth quarter yeah, I think there's a video on YouTube where it's just JT Barrett's fourth quarter. Um, you could watch that and have a pretty great time. You could watch the full game. It's it's enjoyable to get the full context. Um, you could even just watch you know highlights of this one and, and have a an enjoyable <laughs> viewing experience because that's not what we're trying of, to sell here, Patrick. No, we're trying to get him to watch to the sell, whole game. Yeah, we make money every single time you watch the full game. <laughs> <laughs> we have a deal with Ohio State. Um, <laughs> Or with ESPN or Fox or whoever aired this game, um, but I, I think that there, are, you know, you can really you can't go wrong with with the way that you consume this game. I um, I watch the full thing because it's my job to do that because um, I have a very normal regular job where I talk about sports on the internet. Um, but you could watch the fourth quarter. You could watch the full thing. I'm sure that there's a cut down version. It's all great. You're you're really you're gonna have a good time watching it. Perfect place for this one, I think. It, it deserves to yeah. be in the top 10. I don't know if it's a top five one despite the comeback, but for what JT does, the way that they basically shut down Saquon Barkley other than two plays, and the significance of beating Penn State a year after losing to them and that it was a basically a top five matchup. Ohio State was ranked sixth. But this, this game had all the elements of a heavyweight feel. I can't believe we haven't talked about this given how you and I like to talk about football. But this is probably a perfect way to put the bow on this one. What do you think of these uh, alternate uniforms? Uh, I think they're fine. I think that people in general got a little bit too um, upset about them. Uh, I, I don't like them as much as I like the white ones. I like the white version of these jerseys a whole lot more. Um, but I think, they're, I think they're mostly fine. I would have liked them more without the wolf print, but... In general, I, I don't I don't have a whole lot of strong thoughts about these uniforms. I like them too, or I I think that they're fine. I they definitely weren't as bad as what people said they were. The helmets are really cool, and like you said, the uh, the yeah. white version. I hope we see that again. Maybe the white uh, version is very good. <laughs> maybe at Michigan this year, and and that we did see that yeah. in the Michigan game uh, that season where they they wore the white with that helmet. So I hope that they break that out again when they play Michigan this year. So yeah, for all those reasons, you should go back and watch this game. It is a classic. Maybe one of the best comebacks in Ohio State history. Not maybe. It is one of the best comebacks in Ohio State history and definitely worth your time. All right, before we get into the next game, we're going to talk about here, since we're bad podcasters and didn't do it at the start, I want to let you guys know where you can find 
today's show and all the old episodes and new episodes of the Hangout in the Holy Land and everything else going on on the Land Grant Holy Land Podcast Network. And that is one by subscribing on Apple Podcasts. Just search hang out in the holy land find us there subscribe leave a review uh hopefully a nicer review than a lot of the uh other reviews we get but that's fine and then go to spotify and follow along just search land grant holy land follow you don't have to have spotify premium that is the best way to follow along with the show and you will get it faster than you will even on apple so go to spotify search land grant holy land and Follow us there, and every new episode is going to pop up in your podcast feed. With that out of the way, Patrick, let's get into game number seven. You said something interesting at the start of this that, what was it, for sentimental reasons, this game might be up there? I'm curious to hear why you think that is the case, because this is Ohio State's 42-20 to win over Oregon in the 2014 national championship break this down for me i i think that this is like the the reason that i say sentimental is because like looking at the stats remembering the the full game um kind of you know going back and watching it again obviously it's still close in the third quarter but like it really felt like ohio state was pretty significantly better than oregon um they were more physical they were way 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 better up front and even with a backup quarterback like Cardell Jones Oregon just didn't really have an answer for Ohio State's offense and the the reason that I I say it's more sentimental than a a great football game is that even with Ohio State having four turnovers I mean they they really crushed them in the fourth quarter in the second half in general where you know obviously Oregon starts out hot Ohio State bounces back and kind of takes control Oregon has their own little comeback but it it just it never felt super close i guess it it never felt like it was in a ton of of danger and obviously we like the blowouts here and a a national championship blowout is (laughs) extremely satisfying but um after you have the extremely cathartic wisconsin game and then the really close, ultra-competitive, massive-stakes Alabama game, this always kind of felt like dessert to me, I guess. It, it didn't feel as much like a a um, a main course because Oregon just wasn't good enough to keep up with Ohio State. and um, it, it didn't show up fully until the fourth quarter, but I, I've always kind of thought of this as a bit of a, a victory lap for Ohio State, who had kind of already won the national championship and just needed to go through this team that didn't really have the substance to actually beat them. That's a, actually a great way to put it because I never felt like they were going to lose this game. Even when no. Oregon goes down and scores first, which is a really nice scoring drive. Yeah. And even when they continue to make mistakes, keep Oregon in the game, Oregon gets the long touchdown pass to Byron Marshall, I think that makes it 21 to 20. It just never felt like Oregon was going to win this game. And, and I don't think it was because Oregon wasn't great. Because you go back and look at that season for basically every single week that year. Because they were undefeated, if I'm not mistaken. They were so talented and so fast. Marcus Mariota had complete control of that offense. And this is coming off of what they did to Florida State, who at the time was the defending national champions. And they just beat the hell out of them in that Rose Bowl. And there's a a famous clip that I don't think has great quality on YouTube, but it's out there of 
Urban Meyer and Ezekiel Elliott, and I don't know who else is at the podium, but after they beat Alabama, somebody was like, did you guys see that Oregon beat Florida State by whatever, 35 points? And you look at Urban Meyer's face, and he's like, what? Are you what? <laughs> and Zeke, do, Zeke does it too. He's like, yeah, we knew they won, but we didn't know they won by 35. And everybody's just kind of taken aback. And Oregon also beat Michigan State earlier that season. So they had some pretty good scalps on the wall and Ohio state just dominates them. And so I, I, I get your point because it, it really does feel like a victory lap, but I also think that that's how I felt about this, where we put it on the list coming into it. But then after watching it, I thought, did we have this too low, which we can really say about any game from two to 10 on this list because they're all pretty awesome. But I think that that's what makes this game great is despite all of the mistakes, despite how they probably could have came into this game after beating Alabama and just kind of put it on cruise control and lost the game and had a letdown. They don't play a perfect game by any measure, but I think the mistakes make this one a perfect game because it shows how good they were that despite all that, nothing was going to stop them from winning the national championship even themselves. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I could see it as kind of being a, you know, a, a bit of a show of dominance for this Ohio State team. And um, I, I think that it, it certainly, I mean, obviously it's number seven on our list. So we're, we're pretty high on it as, as being a, a fun game to rewatch. And I think that it is still a really fun rewatch. And um, it has plenty of value just as a football game and not just as a, a sentimental, like, oh, this was the national championship game. And you have to love the national championship game. But I, I do think that there's my, my issue, my real, my only real issue with this game outside of the, you know, frustrating turnovers that are still frustrating now, five Corey years Smith. later, looking back, God. <laughs> Corey Smith did not have a good game. <laughs> no. But um I, I think the thing that's that's kind of I don't know, it's kind of a bummer. Um because we've talked about this I think on this show pretty recently with when we did the um the two thousand nine episode talking about that Oregon team. Um I was kind of not super bummed out by, by this game, obviously, because the team that I like won the championship. But I was always made a little bit sad by the fact that all of the Oregon stereotypes, all of the, you know, dumb guy, Southern radio show, even Ohio radio show, you know, thoughts about what Oregon football is were kind of proven right in this game. Like that always kind of made me sad because the thing that, you know, people who like man ball and people who don't really watch a ton of Oregon football or really like football outside of their own school. The thing that those people always said about Oregon was that they were just flash and they were, you know, they were, they were all speed and they didn't have the power to keep up with the real college football teams. And I always thought that that was bullshit. And I, I do still think it's bullshit. Um, and that you don't have to play man ball to win the championship, but that was kind of the thing that happened in this game. And looking back on it, obviously I'm delighted that Ohio state won a championship, but it, it just it kind of bums me out that like Marcus Mariota was this really really awesome player and it just you know kind of go it kind of goes the way that like Paul Feinbaum thinks that it would go or the way that like you know your average fan who only watches Ohio State games would think that it goes and um, I think as a a college football enjoyer that's always kind of 
hard for me to watch because it's kind of the de- the death of a really really fun era of Oregon football and like I said I can't be too upset about it because it was at the hands of the team that I like um but it is like I don't know I I was kind of hoping that going into this game I was kind of hoping it would be a little bit more I was kind of hoping that Oregon would be able to show off their their flash a little bit more and Ohio State would you know, lean into the running game, which they did, and Ohio State was absolutely dominant on the ground. But Oregon would have somewhat of an answer for it with their offense, and they just really didn't. And it makes for this um, kind of weird feeling where, you know, even when it's close in the third quarter, it just feels like Oregon is dead in the water because you know that they're going to have to play another quarter and they already look exhausted. Um, so I, I don't know. That's always been kind of my issue with this game is just that it didn't really feel like what that Oregon team had in all season. And it was kind of, you know, the, the worst fears about that Oregon team realized. Yeah. And I stand corrected from earlier. Oregon had lost. They lost to Arizona at home, 31 to 24, and then got revenge in the PAC 12 championship game, 51 to 13. So yeah, they they really emphatically (laughs) changed that. I also think a lot of the thoughts about Oregon, I'm with, I'm with you a hundred percent on how they're viewed, but I feel like a lot of, that talk died when they beat Florida State by 39 points, or at least from rational people it did, because you're always going to yeah. get that feeling. And I also think that, to me, this game wasn't a representation of like the man ball philosophy against Oregon, because even Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler referenced that from the Oregon side, they thought, we're just going to be able to outspeed Ohio State which was incredulous to me given that Ohio State was just as fast as Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. I think that's what Oregon's demise was. Was, yeah, were they as physical as Ohio State? No, but they thought that they were going to win with speed. Ohio State was much faster than them, and that's something that Oregon hadn't faced, even with Florida State, that every team that they played, they were able to go tempo on and have skilled guys that were just as fast You know, it's one thing if Ohio State has just as fast defensive backs as Oregon, but when there's Darren Lee, who's just as fast. Darren Lee killed Darren Lee had an unbelievable game. When a player like Darren Lee took Ohio State's defense to the next level, and that's where I think Oregon kind of lost out on this game, is there, there were guys like Darren Lee who were just as fast. There were defensive linemen that were some of the fastest in the country among their position. Not only was Ohio State stronger, but they were faster every single other position, too. And that's really noticeable in this game because Ohio State pounds with the run. But even that first Zeke touchdown run, he gets into the second level and there's a guy standing straight in front of him. And he just goes around him through two defenders and into the end zone. So Ohio State, as much as anything to me, showcase what great speed that team had yeah for sure and I, I think that this is another one of those like in that 2009 episode that we talked about where um you know you're watching this wonderful beautiful high-flying Oregon offense just get absolutely destroyed by a defensive player or you know one or two defensive players and we talked about how Cam Hayward did it in that 2010 Rose Bowl I think I referenced how um Tyron Matthew did it in 2011 like one of the early games of that season where you know an elite defensive player can really give that you know those Oregon teams trouble and Darren Lee certainly did that I think Michael Bennett as well who was 
Michael Bennett may be the most dominant player not named Ezekiel Elliott during that Ohio State run. Um, I, he just he went supernova in those last three games, and you know, same thing with Joey Bosa, and it, it really made it pretty much impossible for Oregon to ever get anything going on the ground. I mean, their uh, their leading rusher was Thomas Tyner, and he didn't really ever have. A, a super explosive run he was kind of efficient but he, he was never really able to get a ton going um marcus mariota really really struggled running the football royce freeman didn't ever get anything going um and it was kind of just like you know it's it's kind of fun to see that happen like it, it, it goes contrary to what i just said about being bummed out about this awesome oregon team not really being able to do what they want um but like to see such an elite defensive performance um, from you know individual players where Darren Lee is in the backfield seemingly every play and Joey Bose is in the backfield every play and Michael Bennett's in the backfield every play. It's almost as fun as watching Ezekiel Elliott just run through Oregon's defense like it was paper. I, I think that those are really the two most enjoyable parts of this game are the individual performance from Elliott, Lee Bennett and and Bosa and some I mean to an extent Cardell Jones but he only completed 16 passes he didn't throw all that many passes and um, he was more just kind of you know keep things stabilized and hand the ball off to the best running back in the country I don't think there's anything we can say that will do this game Ezekiel Elliott's game God, it's unbelievable it's incredible yeah it's I mean the whole three game stretch is talked about so so much but it's like he was completely unstoppable. It, you know, it was, it was like so. It, it was maybe the most extreme case of like this is a grown man playing playing college football. You know, and there's really nothing that you can do about it when a grown man is playing college football. And um, he had an offensive line that formed together in those last three games. And I mean, it's it's unreal. And then you know, the the famous play against Alabama where. Um, you know, even someone like, you know, the wide receivers getting in on the play. I think it was, uh, who was it that, that made that block on the 85 yard run? Was it Evan Spencer? That sounds right. But you know, it's like the entire team really banded together and just made probably the most lethal rushing attack I've ever seen at Ohio state, maybe in college football in general, like there was just absolutely no stopping this you know this rushing attack and and stopping Ezekiel Elliott he was a a complete man on a mission it was like every single time he touched the ball you knew that he was going to hit somebody really really hard and he was going to be almost completely impossible to bring down they also ran Cardale way more than I remembered he had too much too much like (laughs) I don't remember that at all 21 carries for 38 yards all 21 of those weren't designed there was probably Five or six that were runs. He also has the hilarious Jameis Winston style fumble, which is hilarious in retrospect. But at the time, it was like, man, they keep making these mistakes. He also has a very fun fourth down sneak where he tries to plug up the middle. Oh, man. And yeah, it's, it's stuffed. And he goes outside and dives over to get the first down. And of course, he trucks the nose guard. Like you have a quarterback trucking a 300 pound nose guard to get a first down it's just so funny to go back and watch how calm he was in this situation and that he had already helped beat wisconsin 59 to nothing beat alabama in the sugar bowl and now here's this third string quarterback 
who was seen as just this goofy dude who was known for a tweet about you know not coming to Ohio State to play school. And here he is on the cusp of winning a national championship and just having this rocket arm and making these plays. It's just fun to go back and watch Cardale play and to really just, like when you just think about it, Ohio State won a national championship with Cardale Jones. It's just amazing <laughs> to say. Is it? I don't know if this is if this is a, a hypothetical even worth worth looking at because Barrett was so good this season. Does Ohio State win the championship with JT Barrett? Oh, I I don't know. It's hard to say because he was so good in 2014. But I think having that vertical threat that that Cardell Jones brought and having that element of surprise really did change things. Even if he wasn't. Or as good a quarterback as JT Barrett and as as good a, a runner as JT Barrett or as complete a player. I, I do think that there was really something to be said for the fact that, you know, he could throw the ball eighty yards down the field and he wouldn't always do it accurately, but he could do it and it was a completely different thing for the offense. I think a lot of the talk when it comes to that is whether they could beat Alabama or not. I don't know if they even get the chance because I, I think that they beat Wisconsin either way. But we've talked so much about how this team, and especially under Urban Meyer, plays so much better when there's like an extra hunger, an extra extra gear to go after and and playing angry. If Barrett doesn't get injured in the Michigan game, they probably just beat Wisconsin like 35 to 15 or, you know, they, they beat him by a couple scores. They beat him comfortably. They might not get into the playoff because that 59 to nothing win... I mean, it took that to get them in. Baylor or TCU, if they win by a touchdown or two touchdowns, probably gets into the playoff, and Ohio State has to play for the Cotton Bowl or you know some something like that and barely misses out on the playoffs. So I think it's an interesting question. Cardale's arm really did open up the offense, and Tom Herman was able to use him to his strengths, and it's wild that they did that, but also ran him a bunch because they ran him in the Alabama game too. So they were able to mesh what they did and, and not only change the way they threw the ball, but I think they also changed the way they ran Ezekiel Elliott. And that gave him a lot of success and shifted up the running game a little bit. But I, it's a question that I think has a lot of merit to it. And not because they would have lost the Wisconsin game. It was just that would they even gotten in with the hunger to beat Wisconsin after everybody's saying, oh, you got to go to your third stringer now. You're probably, you, you won't even get the chance to make the playoff. And then they come into that Wisconsin game so hungry and destroy him. Who knows? Yeah, I, I think that another kind of, and we've referenced, I think we actually did a podcast on this back in 2017 when it was happening. I wonder if there would have been a similar situation had Ohio gone with the uninjured Dwayne Haskins in 2017 in the, uh, the Big Ten Championship game, and it would have happened. It would have happened. Yeah, probably. I wonder if that kind of answers the hypothetical, where you know you keep Barrett in that situation in 2017, and he doesn't quite have enough to really show off what Ohio State can be. And um, you know they beat Wisconsin, but they don't do it resoundingly, and Ohio State ends up going to what was it, the Cotton Bowl instead of the playoff. I do wonder if, you know, Dwayne Haskins plays that game instead of an, an injured JT Barrett and shows off his insane potential and arm strength and ability to throw down the field. Um, and the playoff committee is, is forced to give Ohio State another look in 2017. It's it's um, certainly one of, the, one of the more interesting hypotheticals I think 
both of them in in tandem i would have felt so bad for jt even if it would have yeah even if it yeah. would have happened. even though we were even though we were saying that they should do it on our podcast i, I still would have felt bad for him yeah <laughs> if that's because that probably would have been his legacy is like he goes down twice and they go this to the, the guy who can win every regular season game but nothing else they go to the playoff with these strong-armed quarterbacks but it's definitely something worth talking about but back to the game itself there are so many different skill position guys or not just skill position guys but players on each side of the ball for ohio state to look at devin smith catches another long pass in this game he draws a couple of pass interference penalties mike thomas only had four catches for 53 yards but i thought he was one of the best players on the field he has a couple of catches where he just looks better than any oregon defender on the field which we obviously know he was and the offensive line they they dominate jeff hireman is a part of that with some of those blocks he makes nick vanette has uh, the touchdown catch has some nice blocks as well. Just it goes back to my point of despite the mistakes, they played an awesome game. That when they were locked in, they dominated Oregon, snap to snap in this game. All levels of the defense played well. Von Bell has a has a really nice game. They just this was Ohio State kind of at their absolute best. Man, I I don't know if you experienced this as well watching this like live back in 2014 or I guess this would have been January 2015. Um, I really thought Jalen Marshall was going to be awesome <laughs> after this game. Yep. You know, five receptions, 52 yards. He was really good for the entirety of that three game run. I know that he had the. Uh, the big catch like in the middle of the field against Alabama. That play kind of sparked the whole rally for him. Yeah, I really, really remember thinking like, man, Jalen Marshall's going to be awesome next year. Like him and him and Michael Thomas, that's nuts. And it just like nothing ever came of it. <laughs> you know, it was like the uh, the next season because he was, I mean, he was what, a redshirt freshman in 2014? That that sounds right. I believe so. And, you know, he, he hadn't done a ton that season. He had been good, but never really you know quite shown anything super awesome and then you know he uh he has five receptions for 55 yards against alabama five for 52 against oregon um he had 236 against wisdom and he had really started to catch on in the back end of that season you know he has that huge game against indiana where i think he's making up for his own mistake if i remember correctly he had like a bad fumble but like it really did feel like Jalen Marshall was going to be awesome, and this was another one of those games where it's like, man, this guy's going to roll, and then he just never quite put it together. And I, I don't think it's his his fault. I think Ohio State probably could have helped him a whole lot by giving him like an offensive coordinator, a wide receivers coach, or um, you know the usual things that you would like a wide receiver to have. But that was one of my strongest takes from this game, like watching it live back in 2015 was, God, Jalen Marshall's going to be unbelievable. And he just never was. And even in playing well in the national championship game, he kept it super on brand because he was responsible for one of the Cardale interceptions that's right. Yeah. Just inexplicably bounces out of his hands right into an Oregon defender. But yeah, a couple, <laughs> couple of the punt returns are nice. He has... A play on third down on the, I think the second to last touchdown drive, where Cardell goes to him over the middle. They get the first down inside the ten. Then Zeke scores to kind of wrap up the game for all intents and purposes. But yeah, just skill position guys up and down the list. And this is with the Big Ten Freshman of the Year out and 
the reigning reigning Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year in Braxton Miller out for the whole yeah. season. So it just goes to show the uh, the depth of talent that they have. Yeah, what it, just a it, it's just really a, a fun game to go back and watch, and obviously for the purposes of yeah, they won the national championship, and that's why it's so awesome. But it like I said earlier, it just felt like nothing could stop them from winning this game. The best way I can describe it is. I don't think anybody really remembers anything Oregon did in this game. It was just like <laughs> I a showcase. The early for, touchdown in the like this half. is Ohio State. Yeah, Ohio State. Like it's their time. That's it. Felt like a coronation because after the Alabama game, for what two years, everybody was like, "Is Ohio State? Is Urban Meyer going to be able to get Ohio State to what they were at Florida?" And then they beat Alabama, and everybody was like, "Oh shit." <laughs> they're there and so like you said it just kind of felt like a victory lap and then they go out and they win by 22 points despite having four turnovers that, that it doesn't get much better than that yeah it's pretty fun to watch ezekiel Elliott take a victory he's good lap. um <laughs> very few run as hard through a victory lap as he does <laughs> he's the guy who hits a home run and then sprints the bases <laughs> that's I just watching his performance. It's unreal. I think that that's like the number one that people should watch for is just like Ezekiel Elliott absolutely lit him up and he did it three games straight. And this was maybe the best of the bunch. I think the Alabama game certainly has a case, but yeah, he just, I mean, he's unstoppable. Well, the good news is, is, uh, spoiler alert. We're going to talk about those two games coming up here. (laughs) We still have six games on our list of the 20 most rewatchable Ohio State games in history. And we're going to switch up the format here for the rest of them. We've done kind of two for each of these episodes to to get through it. But since we're getting close to finishing the list now, we're just going to break these down one by one, starting with six next week, all the way up to number one before we get to the start of the Ohio State season and start talking about current Ohio State football and the bad takes that Patrick and I are sure to have coming up for the 2019 season. But make sure to keep up with that episode, this episode, and all of our upcoming episodes on the Hangout in the Holy Land. Subscribing on Apple Podcasts and going to Spotify, finding us there. We're also on Twitter at Holy Land Pod. Reach out to Patrick and I there. Patrick, that's about all I got for this episode. I think both these games are deserving to be in the top 10. They're both great. Anytime you have a national championship game at number seven, it goes to show what's uh, what's coming up because the next six games are pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I think that this is a... Uh... I think this this is a uh, you know an episode with two really injuries, and that's been the case for the last few episodes. We're really, like I said last week, we're really, really, really getting down to the the heaters here. You know, it's like uh, it, it's coming down to the wire. And uh, I know next week's episode, as we're getting into um, you know one per per, uh, I'm excited next episode too. We're gonna probably have to do things a little bit differently just because of when the game was uh which will make more sense when we actually put that episode out but um yeah these are two really fun games i think that you can uh you know enjoy them just watching the fourth quarter for the penn state game i think you can enjoy the national championship watching the full broadcast you can get the full experience or you could watch kind of a a condensed version where you've just got the the big plays and um either way it'll be it'll be enjoyable to kind of take a um a bit of a ride down memory lane to you know one of the most enjoyable runs in ohio state football history if you like uh schadenfreude 
against Michigan. The the next six games, that's that's your bag. <laughs> There's a couple of them. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about that. There's a couple like of Patrick them. Like Patrick says, <laughs> just just stay tuned because these next six are gonna be a lot of fun, and we're gonna get into it next week as we start to finish up our list of the 20 most rewatchable games in Ohio State history. But until we talk about number six next week, we want to thank you guys for listening to the show. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>